You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, we're back with another local... Is it a murder this time, or we do we got something else It's today? a murder. It's a murder. Yep. So, all right, well, take her away. Let us know. There's so many murders. There's so many murders. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so this episode is called Justice for Frank Fry. And when I start an episode with Justice for, that means it's an unsolved case. Okay. So we, we've had at least one before, but we have another one today. So Frank Fry is born in February 1906, very long time ago now, in Pembine, Wisconsin, which for getting, those who don't know is kind of up by Marinette. Yeah, and getting up there on this one. Yeah, but that's just where he's born. So uh, the family moves around a little bit, but they settle in Appleton. Okay. So we're, we're back. Uh, while he's a child, his parents divorce and he joins his siblings and his mother to live on Douglas Street in Appleton. I do not know where Douglas Street is. I actually feel like Douglas Street is not too far away from us. I'd have to look it up. But, but I always think it's near us. So yeah. It's Appleton. It is near us. Yes. <laughs> After his father leaves, Frank supports his mother and his younger sister. He starts out working as a beater at the Kimberly Clark paper mill. I do not know what a beater does. I've never worked in a mill, but I know that's a common job. Uh, his brother marries and leaves. His sister marries and leaves. But he stays living in the house with his mom and another sister. So he helps support them. He then goes and switches jobs to become a laborer for the Appleton Water Department. He also hand digs ditches during the Great Depression. He gets his career in June 1937 when he's hired on at the Appleton Police Department. Frank Fry is working at the Appleton Police Department while his mother known as Odie. Her name is actually Emma, but she went by Odie for some reason. She did babysitting to earn a little extra money. And some of the children she babysat for were the children of Lo- of Rose Blonick, her children Betty and Joyce. While Frank and Rose, the mother of these two children, would meet through Odie's babysitting. And guess what? They get married. married. So Frank basically adopts these two children of his new wife, and they all move into the Douglas Street house. So it's his mother, his sister, himself, his wife, and his two stepkids, all in this house on Douglas Street. He renovates a building on the back part of the property so that not everybody's living together in exactly the same space, because that might be a little bit weird and crowded. They tried to have a child of their own, but their only child they lost as a baby. So only stepchildren for Frank. After Frank married... Rose, his stepdaughter recalled a time when she was riding her bike down the street with no hands. It wasn't a busy street. There was nothing really dangerous about it. But he told her, hey, don't do that anymore. Your bike's going to go on the porch for a week just to learn a lesson. You got to ride a bike responsibly. That seems like a very strange note. Or is that going to play into this story later for some reason? (laughs) The point here is just that he was an upstanding citizen. And as a police officer... He was not known as a dirty, shady, Shady, corrupt police officer. He was a a good father. He was a good officer. And he wanted to make a good impression. So 
if you saw his children goofing off, he'd say, Oops. don't goof yeah. off. You're, you know, you got to make it look good because we're, you know, this is a police family. When kids would get arrested by him later on, the stepdaughter, the same one, she would say, well, if you got arrested, it's probably something that you deserved. <laughs> uh, Brutally honest. Yeah. But <laughs> she's like, my stepdad's a fair guy. I mean, if he, if he arrested you, it'd mean, I'm sorry. You broke the law. <laughs> you broke the law. So he's he's creating this reputation for himself as a as a good guy, a good officer, a good family man. Uh, he continues to expand the house as more people, uh, you know, are growing. The teenagers need more space and so on. Another strange turn here. Frank's sister is married and lives in Iowa. Okay. We're taking some major detours before we get to the point here. She lives in Iowa. She comes up to visit Frank and their mother. With them is her son, Dean. Dean meets Frank's stepdaughter, Betty. And they get married. And they get married. (laughs) Nice. So Frank's nephew marries his stepdaughter, which is kind of weird, but they didn't grow up together. So it's not as weird as it sounds. And they're not related in any way, really, really. So Yeah. But just say, this is a very close family. Mm -hmm. Dean was in the Air Force, so then... They, not Frank, but the stepdaughter, moved to a base in Roswell, New Mexico, coincidentally around the same same time time. that the aliens (laughs) crashed in Roswell. (laughs) But that's a whole other story. Frank gets promoted up to a detective. Now, he does have a few problems over the year. Over the years, uh, there's a man named Whitey who apparently has threatened him on more than one occasion. And so Rose, his wife, has to learn self-protection. She keeps a gun on her at all times because Whitey will call and make nasty mm-hmm. phone calls and say, hey, I'm going to get you guys, which I would think you could probably get sent to jail for that, but but they just kind of dealt with it. So this Whitey's giving them trouble. Um, eventually, he just sort of gives up. What we can tell, Whitey goes away. Frank retires from the police force in 1959. Well, what happens a lot of times when the police retire is they don't fully retire. Okay. They go into a similar job, and that's what Frank does. He becomes a night watchman. He's now a night watchman first at a motel on West College Avenue called the Biggers Motel. I do not know this place. Um, I don't know anything about it. But apparently he's there for a while. And then he transfers to another place on County BB, which is basically Prospect called the Embassy Motor Lodge, which is later turned to the Colony Inn, and the Colony Inn is demolished in 2008. And is that right off of 41? It's right off of 41. And it's like a business complex right now, right? It probably is. Yeah. I mean, the motel is not there. Yeah, I think I know exactly where you're talking about. All right. So Frank is working there, um, but on, on one occasion, he finds some blood in a room, as well as on some sheets, and he says, what's going on here? The manager yells at him and says, hey, you're night watchman. You're not a cop. Stop that. <laughs> Nobody complains about a little blood on the sheets. It's not your problem. <laughs> so, so he's like, okay, fine. Fine. Uh, he, he starts wondering, you know, maybe this isn't the best place. There's too many Chicago and Milwaukee boys running around this area he says, this might not be a good place. This might be a very questionable place. Hmm. It gets to be Christmas 1969. 
It's a few days before Christmas, and he gives his wife her present early. They find it a little odd that he's giving her the present early, but nobody thinks much of it at the time. So there's that. The next day, he's about to start his shift when a phone call comes in, and a man asks, Is this the residence of the Frank Fry who works at the Embassy Motor Lodge? And Rose takes the phone call, and she says, Well, yes. Yes, it is. The man says, can I talk to Frank? And she lies and says, no, he's already gone to work. He's not here right now. And the man then says, oh, well, then I must have the wrong number. And he hangs up. Weird. Yeah. So Frank then does leave for work. He brings with him his police badge, even though he's not in the police force anymore, which he normally kept in his dresser drawer. He normally wore a suit to work. And then when he wore the suit this time, he slipped the badge into a small pocket. So for whatever reason, he has the badge on him. He goes to work. That night, it's fairly normal. A guest checks in at three in the morning, which I think is kind of late, but I guess for a motel, that's not that strange. Uh, The guest who checks in doesn't notice anything unusual, doesn't hear anything unusual. But then when the morning guy shows up, the morning security guy shows up, Frank's nowhere to be found. He's not there. There's no signs of a struggle. He does notice that there's some money missing from the register. There's $263 missing from the register. There's more money in the register, but but they didn't take it all. So he's like, that's kind of odd. Not long after that, already the same morning, a man is driving out in Wapaka County. When he sees what he thinks is an injured deer, he pulls over and finds out it is not an injured deer. It's It's Frank. Bummer. It's Frank, who's in a ditch on County MM in Wapaka County, which is really the middle of nowhere. It's Mm -hmm. not really by anything. Exactly what happened, nobody knows. He was shot and dumped in a ditch, but he apparently wasn't shot at the motel because nobody heard a shot and there wasn't any blood. And whoever robbed the motel apparently also decided that they felt they need to drive him out to Wapaka County from Appleton. So weird. Yeah. Which is very unusual. I mean, if you're going to rob a place, you know, you might shoot a person, but you're probably not going to kidnap them and dump them. Dump, yeah. Typically. I mean, not that I know, but I'm guessing that's, you know, a little more effort than most robbers are looking for. And I also think it's very strange, like, the whole taking his police badge to mm-hmm. with him to work and stuff like that is just weird. It almost sounds like... He knew something was up at the hotel and maybe he was going to do something about it on his own. Right. And then he got wrapped up into this thing and it ended up getting him killed. Right. So, well, and this is, this is, these details come from the family. And that's what the family is kind of thinking here. They're like, nothing that happened was extremely unusual at the moment. But, you know, after he's killed a few days later, then we start to wonder what's with this weird phone call? What's with them giving out Christmas presents early? What's mm-hmm. with, you know, like these things, they're, they were off. They weren't off enough to like wonder. But now it's like, okay, did he know something was going to go down this night? Yeah. I mean, but it's weird because if he knew something was going to go down, that so much so that he thought he was going to get killed and give Christmas presents early. I mean, why would he, when 
the common sense thing to be not go to work or something, Maybe. you know? I don't know. Or that is very strange. There's a lot of mysteries about this. And I'm sure that, that some of this is explained more like in the police file. I'm, I mean, I'm sure the police know some of these things. But based on what's publicly available, there's a lot of questions. There's some speculation. And I don't know how true any of this is. But again, this is kind of coming from the family, their thoughts. Um, they thought that there might be some questionable people, maybe the mafia, questionable people who were doing things they shouldn't have been doing around that area uh, because there was the embassy suites or the embassy motel, you know, mm. motor lodge that, that he worked at. They're like, yeah, that place is kind of shady. There's a nearby tavern on that stretch of road that's kind of shady. Um, and for people who are familiar with Appleton, like, the prospect exit, like, it's not a well-built-up exit even today. Hey, yeah. I'm sure this is 1969. I'm sure this was basically just the middle of nowhere. Where? Yeah. So there's that. And then right near there, and we talked about this off the air, there was apparently a strip club on Stroby Island called the Horse Feather, which was a shady place, and that burnt down in 1972. So there was suspicions that there were all kinds of weird things going on here. I can tell you because something that I know a little something about is mob stuff. Is although I don't know anything about the embassy or the horse feather, I will tell you that there was a banquet hall on that same stretch of road that was investigated because the guy who owned it would put in hidden cameras in the bridal suites and watch the bridesmaids. No, 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 oh, no. Okay. no, no, no. Worse, okay. worse than that. You're not understanding. Okay. So there's a banquet hall. So there's the dinner and the dancing. But then it has this setup where there's also a, a bunch of rooms that you could rent. Because, you know, you've been drinking all night. So it's like, hey, we'll throw in this a room that this you room can, that you can stay, stay here afterwards. So he's got a camera in the room where the bride and the groom stay the night of their wedding. So, and apparently he was selling these tapes. Wow. So... Whether that's connected to any of this, I don't know. But there was definitely some shady crap going on in this area. That's so weird. Yeah. So yeah, if if you got if you got married and had your banquet in that area in you like might, the sixties and seventies, uh, you might be on Pornhub today. Yeah, you might be. So watch <laughs> out for that. Um, I don't remember the guy's name offhand. I should have wrote that down, but uh, you can ask me if you want to know because I do have those notes. That's interesting. So. So, and this was never really solved, so we don't really know what's going, what happened. You don't have any sort of, like, was there ever around this time, like, some big bust at that hotel that would explain possibly no. what could have been going on there or anything? No, not that I'm aware of. I mean, it seems like things just kind of went on, and uh, and and it was a fairly legitimate place, although it was in a shady area. I mean, I don't know the embassy motor lodge i don't know this place but from what i was able to gather from looking at it they actually had bands that played there and they had you know conventions for people coming through if they were meeting there for business or whatever so when you think motel like i think some pretty rundown places but i guess this was actually must have been a very nice place yeah so and it's funny that it was a motel because motels typically are all ground and that the, if it's the building I'm thinking of it, it's like a six-story building. Too. Well, it wouldn't be there anymore, though. 
Well, because it was because it was demolished in the two thousands. Oh, it was the yeah, but but okay, okay. So, but if it's a building, I'm thinking of they technically demolished it, but they like ripped it down to the like four to the main beams, and then they rebuilt it, and now it's a business complex. That's possible. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I'm pretty sure because I'm pretty sure that that building, because what did you say became the colony? Colony in for a while. Yeah. yeah. Like, would that have been in our, in our, do you know, have dates when it was the colony in? Yeah, up till 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, we, I'm were, pretty, we were around. Yeah. Pretty sure that's the building because I, I pretty, I don't remember specifically the name of the hotel it was beforehand, but it was a really rundown ghettoy hotel in Appleton and then, they ripped ripped it down to nothing and built this okay office complex. So okay, so, oh, that mean that could be yeah yeah. So, but interesting. I'm. It's really sad that nothing ever came of this story. Yeah, I mean there was some speculation um, around the same time. There were various robberies that happened up and down along Highway 41. This apparently has been a running theme for a long time, where people get off of 41 and they rob a motel or a gas station and they get back Thank on you. and go because it's, it's the highway. Yeah. Um, and one of them is a man named Marvin Jansen, who we're actually going to talk about next time um, because he's killed in Appleton. So we'll, I'm going to bring that up next time. Um, but it's not connected. There, it's I'm 99% sure it's not the same guy. And this sounds like, I mean, this feel like you said, they drove them all the way out to Wapaka. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like more than... Than just um, just robbery. Yeah, it's very strange. And and the on top of that, all too, if you're just robbing a hotel, why do you only take half the money or whatever it was yeah. in the register? Why don't you take all the money? So, and when you said you said this guy's basically a security guard for the hotel. Yes, is that basically like the front desk person, more or less? He so, is. Yeah, he's, he's security, but he also does check people, people in, in and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because that was going to be another question, like like. Well, did the front desk person no. see anything? But okay. Based on what I understand, he's he's probably the only guy on site at night. Night, yeah. yeah. So they just have a security person who do, will help you with anything you need and yeah. so on and so forth. So, cool. Well, not cool because he's a poor guy died, but... Yeah. But all right. I don't have any other questions for that. Do you got any more speculations on what happened? No, in not, your notes? not really. I, the only thing I have really follow up to that is um, his wife uh, passed on in 1990. Uh, both of his stepdaughters uh, have since passed, and so now uh, there's there's a there's some grandchildren, and one of the granddaughters, I mean, or step granddaughter, whatever. I mean, she still keeps up on this and wants to know things, um, and she can be found online. And, of course, the police would like to know if people know anything. But it's been a little over 50 years now. So it's going to uh, be tough. <laughs> yeah, so that is probably, the odds are very slim. But if for some reason you do happen to know something, um, definitely reach out to either the daughter or the Winnebago County uh, Sheriff's Department. So All right. Well... The un- unsolved murders are always the saddest ones, so... Yeah, they're no fun, but it's, unfortunately, you know, they're part of the story. The story, so. yeah. So, all right, well, everybody, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. We will be back in two weeks with another episode, and I don't think we mentioned, hmm. but we are, if you're not a Milwaukee Mafia member, we are all we're on this podcast in... 
coming up soon, we will be going on a little hiatus. We're going to have some fun little bonus content that's going to be published in place of regular episodes, but they're going to be probably shorter and just, and would you say kind of off topic? I, in, I would in, say off topic. topic. It's still going to be local, but it's not going to be so much murder and mayhem. And they're going to be local and uh, probably more in line with the UFO episode. episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so definitely much less murder, but but some strange things. So, so yeah. So just know that'll be coming up. But once you hear those, it's not a change in the podcast. We're just going to be taking a little break, and then we'll be back with normal content. So. Do you got anything, Gavin, you want to add? No, I don't think so. That's that's about it for this one. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a, leave a review on your favorite podcast player. And again, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. All right, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.